I have a question for you to think about. What do you have? What do you have that God could use to impact somebody for Christ? What do you have that God might use to impact many people for Christ? What do you have that God might use in ways you can't possibly imagine? Please think about that question, and we'll come back to it as we explore this amazing place in God's Word this morning. You know, there's only two miracles, two specific miracles that are recorded in all four Gospels. Only two miracles are recorded in all four Gospels. One is the resurrection of Jesus, and the other is the miracle we're going to study today, which is probably the most famous of Jesus' miracles. What makes this miracle so special is that Jesus performs it with something so ordinary and unspecial that it, it demonstrates how God is always at work, even in the smallest and most routine things of life. Let's pray together. Father, beautiful day. We thank you for this day that you have made, Lord. We thank you that you have brought us to this place where we can freely sing your praises and hear from your word. And Lord, we just pray that you would open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears, open our minds to see you in every moment of our lives. Let the truth of your word penetrate us, sink deeply into our souls today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn to Luke chapter 9 verses 10 to 17, and while you're turning there, let's see if you and I can solve a little math problem together. All right? Ready to do a little math problem? Okay, here it is. You ready? How much is 5 plus 2? How much is 5 plus 2? 7. Yeah, just, just shout it right out when you know. That's it. 7. Our calculators... And our fingers tell us that 5 plus 2 always equals 7, but our passage today tells us that God can take 5 plus 2 and arrive at a very different sum. Let's read together this incredible lesson in God's math. All right? Luke 9, 10 to 17. When the apostles returned, they gave an account to him of all they had done. And taking them with him, he withdrew privately to a city called Bethsaida. But the crowds were aware of this and followed him, and he welcomed them and began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had need of healing. Now the day was ending, and the twelve came up and said to him, Dismiss the crowd so that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside and find lodging and get something to eat, because here we are in a secluded place. But Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat. But they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless perhaps we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. But Jesus said to his disciples, have them recline to eat in groups of about 50 each. They did so and had them all recline. And he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed them and broke them and gave them to the disciples again and again to serve the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied, and the broken pieces which they had left over were picked up, 
12 baskets full. Remember last week, Jesus sent the disciples out on their own to preach the gospel. Jesus did not go with them, but Jesus gave them the power to heal and to cast out demons. Well, when we get to verse 10 of our passage, we have a time transition. Let's read verse 10 again. When the apostles returned, they gave an account to him of all that they had done, and taking them with him, he withdrew privately to a city called Bethsaida. So in verse 10, the, the apostles now have returned. And when they returned from their preaching tour, they told Jesus everything they taught and everything they did. And after listening to their reports, Jesus takes them away for a private retreat. Why did he do that? In Mark chapter 6, Mark gives us a little information uh, uh, that we don't have in Luke. Mark 6, verses 30 to 32, Mark writes, The apostles gathered together with Jesus... And they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And Jesus said to them, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there are many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. Do you ever have days like that? Where everything's coming and going, you don't even have time to eat? Well, that's what was happening. Verse 32, They went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. So Jesus wanted to take the disciples on a little retreat to get a little rest. But the Word of God makes sure that you and I understand two very important facts about this retreat. Okay, let's make sure we understand. First, Jesus himself chose the location for the getaway. Jesus chose it. And two, we, the Word of God makes sure we understand it is a secluded place. This secluded place belongs to or is near the city of Bethsaida, which would put it on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. So that's why they would have to travel again by boat. Jesus, we know, often sought solitude, and Jesus looked for silence in out-of-the-way places where he could get alone with God. But I believe Jesus also chose this specific remote location as the perfect place to perform a unique miracle. The disciples thought they were taking a break, but Jesus would use this downtime to teach them an amazing lesson about his power. And faithfulness. We know that large crowds followed Jesus everywhere he went. This trip to the wilderness of Bethsaida is no exception. Thousands of people saw where they were going and they followed them. They were waiting for Jesus when he arrived and Jesus was certain they would. In verse 11, when Jesus saw the crowd, he welcomed them and he began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had need of healing. Again, turning to the book of Mark, because Mark gives us a little, one more bit of information. It says, when Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them. And uh, because, um, let me read that better than I just said that. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. This word compassion meant that Jesus' entire being was stirred from its lowest, lowest depth. Jesus' love and compassion has no limits for broken and hurting people that were in that crowd that are here today in this worship center and are in our world today. The crowd was so large that Jesus spent the rest of the day teaching them the word of God and healing anyone who had the need. But this loving act of the Lord created a huge 
crowd control problem for the disciples. Let's read verse 12. Now the day was ending, and the twelve came up and said to Jesus, Dismiss the crowd, so they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside and find lodging and get something to eat, because here we're in a secluded place. So let's make sure we all understand the situation, okay? The sun is going down. There's nothing that the disciples can do about that. They're in a remote place. There's nothing the disciples can do about that. And the crowd, thousands of people, are getting really hungry. And there's nothing the disciples can do about that either. Jesus has led his disciples into an impossible situation. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? Remember in chapter 8, we've talked about this story a lot because it's, it's so applicable to just about everything we face. Chapter 8, remember Jesus was sleeping in the boat on the Sea of Galilee when a storm, fierce, terrible storm came out of nowhere. The disciples were sure they were going to die. This again was another impossible situation. On the lake, terrible storm, they're going to die. But Jesus woke up, told the storm to stop. It did immediately. And then Jesus turned to the disciples and said, Where's your faith? Where is your faith? Uh, every time I read that, I think, How many times has the Lord said that to me? Dave, where's your faith? Dave, where is your faith? Maybe Jesus has asked you that question more than once. Where is your faith? The Lord Jesus loves his disciples, and his disciples include you and me. His love is greater than anything we can possibly comprehend. And Jesus knows that fear and worry and stress and uncertainty weakens us. But faith and trust in him strengthens us. So, the Lord, from time to time, leads his disciples, again, this includes you and me, into, in situation, into situations, even impossible situations. Every disappointment. Every nuisance. Every obstacle in our path is a teaching moment from the Lord. Every decision, every interruption, every surprise, every failure, every mistake, every conflict, every scary thing, even every bad driver on the road is a teaching moment from our Lord. Everything that makes our stomachs sink, or our tempers flare, or our jaws tighten, or our heads pound, or tears to spill from our eyes is a teaching moment from the Lord. Our loving and compassionate God knows so well that it's hard for you and me to learn to trust him. We need a lot of repetition. And it's a painful process sometimes. But, but, learning to trust Jesus in every situation brings peace unlike anything else in the world. We were discussing this the other night in our community group on Zoom, and we were all just trying to describe what the peace 
of God is like, and it's indescribable until you experience it, but it's like nothing else on earth. In chapter 8, the disciples face this terrible storm. In chapter 9, the disciples face a hungry crowd. Both are very frightening. But the disciples chose not to apply what they learned on the lake to what was going on here in the remote area near Bethsaida. The disciples decide, instead of coming to Jesus, they should just send the huge crowd away to go find food and lodging wherever they could. Yeah, yeah, this is their plan. Send everybody away to see if they can find food. Can you imagine being an innkeeper an innkeeper in one of the little remote villages near this area, and you're making supper for the two or three guests you have that evening in your little inn, and there's a knock on your door, and when you open the door, there's a line of people as far as you can see, and the guy in the front of the line says, can we get 5,000 orders of whatever you have there on the stove, and how many rooms do you have available? This was their plan. Instead of trusting Jesus... The disciples trusted a classic problem-solving technique. What is the best way to solve your problem? Make it somebody else's problem, right? The disciples want to just send the crowd away. People gone, problem gone. Wouldn't we all? Wouldn't we all love to just see our troubles disappear? Wouldn't we all just love to see our problems go away, disappear? But our passage today is telling you and me something so important that it's life-changing. It's so important we understand it. Are you ready to hear it? I pray that you are. Please hear this. Passage is teaching this. We, we see problems as things to get rid of. But God allows us to have problems so we can see him work in our lives. We see problems as things to get rid of as quickly as possible. But God allows problems in our lives so we can learn to trust him as we see him work. No problem is too large or too small for Jesus to take care of. The disciples did not include Jesus when they hatched their plan, but fortunately they came to Jesus before they launched their plan. But in verse 12, if you look at verse 12, the disciples of Jesus sound more like they're disciples of Captain Obvious. Okay? Look what they say to Jesus, the Son of God. They say, Jesus. They're kind of giving Jesus a command here. Jesus, send the crowd away to find food and lodging anywhere else than here, because Jesus, look, we're in a secluded place. Well, duh. Like, Jesus didn't realize where they were. Remember, he chose this place for a reason. Just like the storm at at sea, the disciples are urgently telling Jesus yet again, wake up, Lord, look around. They're saying, Jesus, this is a disaster. We've got too many mouths to feed. It's getting dark. No one around. Send everybody away. Jesus' response might be the funniest line in the Bible. What he says next might be the funniest line in the Bible. In verse 13, Jesus looks at them and says, you give them something to eat. And they're thinking, what? They don't have any food trucks, or I guess they'd be food chariots. We don't, we don't, 
What do you mean give them something to eat? Jesus, we, didn't we just explain? Weren't you listening? We just explained. We're in a remote place. In Matthew chapter 14, uh, verse 16, Matthew uh, quotes Jesus as saying this. But they, after they just say, send everybody away. We've got nothing here. Jesus said to them, they don't need to go. crowd doesn't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Wouldn't you love to see the look on the disciples' faces when Jesus said that to them? Lord, we're in a desperate situation. We got no food. No, you give them something to eat. Wouldn't you love to see the look on their faces when the Lord said that to them? Do you know what they look like? They looked exactly like you and I look when we doubt God. <laughs> the same look we have on our face when the Lord's telling us to do something, we're saying, what? Lord, that's not possible. I can't do that. Jesus wants his disciples, and again, that includes you and me, to learn when we come to him, when we rely on him, anything is possible. Everything is possible. Even the impossible is possible. Just like in the storm at sea, Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do about the hungry crowd. But the disciples pushed back a little. We don't ever do that, do we? We never argue with God. We never debate God, do we? When God's telling us something, we never go, no, Lord, that's not going to work. And let me tell you all the reasons why that won't work. Well, that's what they do. Verse 13, Jesus said, no, you, you give them something to eat. But they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless perhaps we go and buy food for all these people. I guess the disciples did a little inventory. And they looked at their resources and they announced to Jesus, we only have five loaves of bread, they happen to be barley, and two fish, we don't know what kind they were. And catering would cost a fortune to feed everybody. So, you see, Lord, this is an impossible situation. Now maybe you get it. Let's think about this for a sec. The disciples have seen, at this point, Jesus perform all kinds of miracles. It started when Jesus turned plain water into wine. And then they've seen Jesus heal absolutely every kind of illness, disability, and demon possession. They themselves have just experienced the power of God flowing through their own bodies when Jesus gave them the power to heal and to cast out demons. They saw Jesus raise people from the dead, and they saw Jesus calm the worst storm they've ever seen with just one word. Yet, when this huge crowd got really hungry, why didn't the disciples come to Jesus? Why didn't they go to Jesus right away? Maybe they didn't want to bother him. Or maybe they didn't think this was the kind of problem that Jesus would or could do anything about. Do you ever get into a situation where you think, well, I'm not going to pray about this because it's too small, or Jesus, God doesn't care about this? God won't do anything about this. When will the disciples catch on? When will these guys realize who Jesus is, for heaven's sake? When will they learn to come to him first with everything? Maybe a better question is, when will you and I catch on? When will we catch on? We've seen God do wonderful things in our lives, haven't we? Absolutely amazing things. We've seen answers to prayer, big ones and little ones. Yet, when we run into new troubles, it's easy to lose our memory and forget about Jesus for a while. While we go through the process of worrying, stressing, striving, 
overthinking, losing sleep, grumbling, and complaining. Sometimes we only come to the Lord after we've tried everything else and failed. I'm sure you never do that. The disciples tell Jesus they only have one basket of food. They're very specific about that. It's like the disciples are saying, see, Jesus, look, physical evidence here. This is all we've got. Our problem is hopeless. You've got to see that, Jesus. The problem's hopeless. And then what does Jesus say in response to that? In Matthew 14, verses 17 to 18, Jesus said, they said to him, we have nothing here. We have nothing here except five loaves and two fish. In verse 18, but he said to them, bring them here to me. Bring them here to me. These words are the key to the whole miracle and the key to seeing God work in mighty ways in your life and my life. Bring them here to me. Jesus knew exactly what he could do when the disciples brought their very limited resources to him. Up to that point, they just had a basket with some bread and fish in it. That's all they had. Jesus never asks us to bring him what we don't have. He only asks us to bring him what we do have, no matter how small or insignificant we think it is. Jesus will never ask you to bring him what you don't have. He won't ask you to bring what somebody else has. He will only ask you to bring what you have, even if you don't think it's significant at all. Maybe today you're thinking, well, Jesus can't use me. I'm, I don't have much to offer. Well, the great news of our passage is showing us Jesus doesn't need much to work with. I'm proof of that. We should never limit our thinking when we have an unlimited God. How foolish for us to limit our thinking when we have an unlimited God. Life, life becomes an exciting adventure when we stop telling the Lord what we can't do and instead just trust what he can do. We waste so much time telling the Lord what we can't do. Oh, I'm not well enough. I'm not rich enough. I'm not, I don't have enough time. Whatever the excuses is, I've got a list of excuses I'll share with you later. But life becomes so exciting when we just stop. Stop telling the Lord what we can't do and just trust what he can do. Let's finish the story. Uh, Chapter 9, verses 14 to 17. There were about 5,000 men. But Jesus said to his disciples, have them recline to eat in groups of about 50 each. They did so and have had them all recline. And he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed them and broke them and gave them to the disciples again and again to serve the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied and the broken pieces which they had left over were picked up, 12 baskets full. Matthew's gospel adds that there were 5,000 men plus women and children. 5,000 men plus women and children. So this means there were probably 10,000, even 20,000 people in total. That's a lot of mouths to feed with one basket that had five little barley loaves and two fish. So Jesus told the disciples to have everyone sit down, get ready to eat. What would you be thinking 
if you were one of the disciples and you were going through this massive crowd telling thousands of people to sit down to prepare to, prepare to eat food you didn't have. Go ahead, people, sit down, sit down. Dinner's coming, sit down, sit down. Dinner, dinner's coming. Yeah, go, no, are you hungry? Yeah, we got that. Sit down, sit down, sit down. What would you be thinking? Jesus did not reveal any details of his plan to the disciples. He just said, have everybody sit down for dinner. In faith, the disciples obeyed. Wouldn't, wouldn't we love it if God would tell us in advance what he's going to do about our problems? Wouldn't it be great if you could pray, Lord, I've got this issue coming up? He goes, oh, no, no, no. And right away, you just hear the voice or I'm going to do this, then that, 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 then this will happen, and in three days, this, 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 you have nothing to worry about. Oh, good. Next problem. But that's not what living by faith is all about, is it? It's God's job to have the plan and God's job to have the power and our job is to trust him. That's what living by faith is all about. Jesus didn't look at the five loaves and two fish and say, do the math, guys. There's not enough food here to feed everybody. In fact, Jesus was not disappointed with the little bit of food the disciples brought him. He wasn't disappointed. He was grateful. He was grateful. He looked to heaven and gave thanks to God for providing what little they had. Why did he do that? Why did he do that? Here's why. Because whatever comes from God is all we ever need. Even if it doesn't look like much at a time. Whatever comes from God is all we ever need, even if it doesn't look like much at the time. After thanking his Father in heaven, Jesus used a boy's ordinary lunch to do something extraordinary. Jesus' hand went into that basket again and again and again till he handed out fish and bread so the disciples served everyone in that crowd. 5,000, 10,000, 20,000 people. The impact of this process on the disciples had to be overwhelming as they went back to Jesus time and time again to get what they needed to feed the multitude. They knew there was only one basket of fish. They knew what Jesus was working with, but they kept coming back. How many times, how many trips did they make? How many trips would you and I have to make before it was really clear to us that everything we need comes from Jesus? How many trips do we have to make before we're just so clear on the fact, no, yeah, I get it, I get it. Everything I need comes from Jesus. You know, Jesus could have just snapped his fingers and had all that food immediately appear in front of everybody, just like he calmed the storm with just a word. But Jesus chose this slower method of asking the disciples to physically serve everyone. Why did he do that? Doesn't sound terribly efficient. Jesus loved his disciples. He wanted to bless them by letting them be part of his miraculous work where they could learn to trust him for every bite of food they distributed. They could only give what they received from Jesus. Could only give what they received from Jesus. What a beautiful picture for us, what it means to serve the Lord. We can only give what we have received from Jesus. We never, we never have to worry. We never need to give it a thought that we're too small to be used by God. 
God promises to give us everything we need to do the job he's called us to do. I hope we all noticed that the food Jesus provided was not a light snack. Verse 17 says, everyone in the crowd ate until they were satisfied. The word satisfied means glutted, glutted. They ate until they were stuffed. They ate until they could not eat another bite. And they had enough leftovers to fill 12 baskets. Maybe this was going to be the next meal for the disciples as they went on their next journey. Not sure. Our God does not do things halfway. (laughs) Jesus did not just provide a few appetizers to hold the crowd over. Jesus gave the crowd all they could eat and then some. It reminds me of the 23rd Psalm, verse 5, where David writes, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. My cup overflows. Everyone who trusts in the Lord will be satisfied completely, and then some, and then some. Jesus turned the big problem, the impossible situation of a hungry crowd in a remote place into the greatest picnic of all time. Think what the disciples would have missed if they sent the crowd away. This is what the Lord does. The Lord takes situations we fear and he transforms them into blessings we never thought possible. This is what Jesus does. You know that. You've experienced it. God takes situations that look so terrible, look so frightening, takes the worst possible news turns them into blessings we never thought possible. Jesus worked wonders with a simple basket of food. Centuries later, centuries later, Jesus would work wonders with one simple phone call in 1964. Would you like to hear about that? Hope you would, because I'm going to share it. When I was a young boy, our family never, ever went near a church. My dad made sure of that. It so happened my mom had a friend named Rosie Taylor, and Rosie was the secretary at a little church in La Mirada. She had invited my mom and dad to church a few times in the past, but dad always declined immediately. One day, about 57 years ago, Rosie was sitting at her desk in the church office typing up the bulletin. The topic of the sermon for that week made her think of my father. So she picked up the phone, called my mom to invite our family to come to church that Sunday to hear that sermon. <laughs> my mom kind of laughed and said, okay, I'll, I'll ask my dad, you'll ask dad about it. I was nine years old at the time, and I was in another room when I heard mom ask dad if he wanted to go to church on Sunday. Well, I knew I didn't want to go to church, so I busted in on them and I said, I won't go. I won't go. It turns out my dad was just about to say that same thing. But my interruption and my attitude made him mad. So he pounded his fist on the arm of his chair and said, we're going. And we went. We went that Sunday and the next Sunday and the next. And that church became our church home. 
short time later, my mom gave her heart to Jesus. And a few weeks after that, my dad gave his heart to Jesus. Then on March 30th, 1964, my brother and I trusted in Christ. Look how the Lord multiplied Rosie's one phone call. My entire family got saved. But God didn't stop there. He continued to multiply the fruit of that one phone call. Years later now, my brother and I have our own families and our children and grandchildren trust in Jesus. My brother went on to become a worship leader in a church in Montana where the Lord multiplied the result of Rosie's phone call for the congregation in Montana. And you? If you've ever... If you were ever blessed by my mom before she went home to the Lord, if you were ever blessed by her or by a member of my family or even by me in some way, then the Lord has multiplied the result of Rosie's phone call in your life too. Do you think Rosie had any idea how God was going to bless her one phone call, just a couple of minutes on the phone? In our passage, when the boy's mother prepared that basket for her son, Did she think the Lord would use that humble meal to feed thousands of people? Did she think her barley loaves and fish would be recorded forever in the Word of God? Well, this brings us back to the question that started the message. What do you have that God can use to impact someone for Christ? Maybe impact a lot of people for Christ. Do you know the answer now? The answer is God can use anything you have. And it's probably something so small and insignificant you're overlooking it even now as you think about it. God delights in using ordinary things to do extraordinary things. God just loves to take simple, ordinary things and do extraordinary things. Nothing is too small for God to use in big ways. Like a friendly smile you might give someone. Or a little kindness you you might show someone. Or a few minutes of time you might spend to help someone or pray for someone. Or a few words you might say to someone to invite them to church or maybe to share your favorite Bible verse. When we bring whatever we have, when we bring everything we have to Jesus, even if we don't think we're offering him very much, we should be prepared for God to shatter our pint-sized expectations of what he can do with us and through us. Are you dealing with any problems today? Do you have any decisions to make? Are you facing any changes or uncertainty in your life? Give God room to work in ways you never imagined. Give God room to work in ways you never imagined. Our prayer team is going to be outside under the white tent, because they're good guys, they, they were under the white tent. So if you need prayer for anything at all, big or small, they would love to pray with you under the white tent outside after the service. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we, we just thank you that you're so powerful. You're all-powerful. Help us to really understand, Lord, in our hearts and all the way up into our heads that we can trust you no matter what. 
Father, everything we need comes from you. And whatever we might think of as a problem or a challenge is actually the opportunity to see you work in our lives, probably in ways we can't expect. Thank you that you love us so much that you would include us in your everlasting kingdom work. I pray we will, all of us, will bring everything we have to you. Hold nothing back because it all comes from you in the first place. Lord, you are the God that turns our fears into rejoicing, our problems into solutions, and our weaknesses into strengths. We need you. We love you. We trust you. And we thank you. In the most powerful name of Jesus, amen.